All right. So, we're going through the Gospel of John. And now we're in another long teaching passage. Because a lot of John is miracles or what he calls signs that he's doing to show, hey, wake up everybody. God is here. I'm the Messiah. Okay, so he's doing these miracles and what John calls signs. And then that leads him into these long discussions because people are wanting to know what's going on and what does this all mean. Okay, and so we're looking at John chapter 6 tonight. And this is right after, the context is right after he does the big miracle with the fishes and loaves. There were some 5,000 people following him. And probably more like ten to 15,000 because it says men. And that meant like families. So we know that there was more than 5,000 people. So Jesus is basically a rock star around Galilee. And people are following him in, in throngs because of the miracles and because of what he's doing. And so this becomes a source of tension because these people begin following him for the signs. They begin following him for basically the benefits. Jesus becomes a meal ticket. He just fed 5,000 people with five fishes and three loaves. And three, excuse me, five loaves and three fishes. They're following him. They want to know what's going on. And so, uh, in the process, Jesus has a very interesting conversation with them. And that is what we're going to read here. But before we do that, let me just pray for us. and, And then we'll look at this. Lord, thank you for this night. Thank you that we can, um, have this freedom to, Come here inside the University of Maryland and look at your scriptures. Lord, we have the freedom to meet as a group. Lord, we thank you for this school. Pray that you would bless it. Bless our night. Um, We pray for your spirit to be here. um, That you would help us understand and know who you are and what you're calling us to do and be. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles or if you want to look up there, We're going to look at John 6. And again, this is quite a lengthy passage. Um, So, but it's the context is the miracle happened, and Jesus is kind of confronting them on why they're following him. Okay? Why are you following me? Verses 22. Yes. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with His disciples, but that His disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor His disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Okay, the other thing, this is when Jesus walked on the water. So there was the miracle of the loaves and fishes. And then that night, he was over there with the crowd, but then he left them, walked on the water to meet his disciples. So that's why they were looking for him. So how did you get here? Okay. Uh, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, Not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill out of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. 
For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, that, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He said to him, Sir, they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus answered, Sorry. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about Him, because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does He now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of God, and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not as the, fa- as the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Okay, so is Jesus saying cannibalism is, is what this is about? And I would say no. Okay. Um, but I feel like there's a big question that's in this passage that we all have to ask ourselves. And and that is, are you looking for Jesus Himself? 
Or are you looking for all of what I would call the side benefits that Jesus gives us? Okay. That was what Jesus was doing here with this conversation with the crowd that had just feasted on the bread, the loaves, and the fish. The question is, um, are you being satisfied in God Himself? In Jesus Himself? Or is your satisfaction coming from what I would say are the other areas of the Christian life, of the experience, or maybe things that you would like God to do for you, blessings that you would like to have. John Piper, some of you are familiar with him. He's a pastor, writer, theologian. He's retired now, but he wrote a book called Christian Hedonism, or or it was called Desiring God, actually. And he says that, he wrote this, he said, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. Chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. And what he was getting at, he he basically loved the theology of Jonathan Edwards, the Puritan. Okay, And Jonathan Edwards' big thing is this glorifying God and enjoying God. And so he's basically been a student of Jonathan Edwards and trying to bring his ideas down to the 21st century mind. And he kind of culminates with this idea of that we are most, um, basically God is most, we glorify God most when we're most satisfied in Him. This idea that we get our greatest joy from the knowledge of God and the grace of God. And we're, we're most fulfilled when we, when we truly know Jesus and who He is and His benefits. And so, in this passage today, that's what I want to ask you, and I think that's what Jesus is getting at. Because he's, he's saying, what does true, authentic faith look like? Um, these, the crowds were following Him. They were looking after Him for these signs, so to speak, for these miracles, for the benefits they could get. But the, the question is, did they have true, authentic faith in Him? Were they coming after Jesus for who He was as the Messiah, as the Son of God? Or were they coming after Jesus with their own ideas. And so I want to look at this idea of what is authentic faith? What is true faith based on this passage? And so I want to say, first off, that true faith checks motives. Okay, true faith checks motives. And it looks to Christ alone versus just the benefits of what He can give. Let me just try to think through this. So the crowd comes after Him. They had just been fed. And they finally find him on the other side. They don't know how he got there. Um, you know, they said, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus goes right to the heart of the matter. He's God. He knows what they're thinking and he knows their motives. And he says this, just like he, kind of similar to his interactions with the Samaritan woman and with Nicodemus. He goes right to the point. It's like, okay, you're asking me a question, but this is your real question. This is really what's on your mind. And he says in 26, right in the beginning, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for, for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Jesus is getting at the heart of the issue. The crowds are following Jesus for temporal things, for instant gratification, for immediate physical blessings. And Jesus is offering something far more, deeper. 
ultimate hunger, ultimate blessing spiritually, ultimate hope, ultimate forgiveness, the glory of God Himself. Jesus is offering filet mignon, and the crowd wants hot pockets. Okay? That's, that's what's going on. Jesus is offering the greatest feast you could ever have Himself. And they want, you know, hors d'oeuvres. They want junk food. They want McDonald's. And so, this is, this is what He's doing. They had wrong-directed worship, so to speak. They were really consumed with themselves. They had feasted on the bread. Jesus is a meal ticket. We're going to go after Him. We saw Him do these signs. But Jesus says something interesting here. He says um, they should know based on the signs that He is something more. And what He was getting at is these, these miracles weren't just flashy things like He was a wizard coming around doing magical things to make people happy. These were signs that were saying the Messiah is here. God Himself has come. The prophet, priest, and king. The long-awaited Messiah from the Old Testament is here. Let's worship Him. Let's bow down to Him. Let's give Him our lives. The Messiah of Isaiah 53, the ultimate prophet, priest, and king, is here. Run to Him. Instead, they're looking at Jesus as kind of like a vending machine. And they're just going after Him for what they can give Him in an instant with their physical needs. They have the right object, but they're overwhelmed with their hearts, which are actually far from God, far from Jesus. And people do this all the time. We want Jesus for maybe the benefits or the blessings um, versus wanting Him Himself, wanting Him for who He is and what He has done. And so, one question just to think about is, why are you here? Or why do you attend church? Or why do you go to RUF? Or, or why do you consider yourselves a Christian? Um, is it just for... Um, are you seeking God Himself? Or are you seeking just the benefits of God? Now, I'm not saying that the benefit, the spiritual benefits of God. I'm not talking about that. God gives us amazing benefits in the Gospel. Ephesians 1 talks all about this. You know, we, we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Okay? We have, we're adopted. We were, we were orphans and now He's brought us into His family. We're sons and daughters with Him. We have full access. We have forgiveness of sins. We have justification. We're totally pure and righteous before God. We have all these amazing blessings. But, how does that help me get a date? Okay? And so sometimes we just get caught up in like our other needs. Okay, these other things. That doesn't put food on the table. That doesn't give me a career. That doesn't help my bank account. It's all kind of this spiritual, surreal thing. And so we get caught up in all the other temporal things. But Jesus is saying, no. Like, this is the real life. This is the real life. The real life is, is, is understanding you're adopted. You're God's Son. He loves you. He is going to give you... The, in, in Psalms it says... Um, uh, I mean, and, and Matthew says, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. There's a priority here of like going after God, being satisfied in God, having having a close relationship with Jesus where 
these other issues in your life are not these huge things that dominate you, but that you're, you're, you're happy in God. You're satisfied in Jesus. That's counterintuitive. Okay, We want the vending machine God. We want the bargaining God. Um, Tim Keller says this. He says this about, the bar, about bargaining with God. On one hand, you may feel you need God, even though you may recognize that you have needs only God can meet. You must not try to use Him to achieve your own ends. It is not possible to bargain with God. I'll do this if you will do that. That is not Christianity at all, but a form of magic or paganism in which you appease the cranky deity in exchange for a favor. Are you getting into Christianity to serve God or to get God to serve you? Those are two opposite motives and they result in two different religions. You must come to God because one, you owe it to Him to give Him your life because He's your Creator. And two, you are deeply grateful to Him for sacrificing His Son because He is your Redeemer. So you see, He's getting at the heart of the issue. The heart is we we owe God our worship and our awe and our and our focus just because of who He is as God Almighty. Even if even if we get cancer. Even if we don't get this job. I mean, that's hard stuff, thinking about that. There was a man who was um, a member of the church in Oklahoma when my brother was out there, and he was, a, he was a surgeon. He wasn't a Christian. And somehow they started coming to our church. And his wife became a Christian, and then um, he became a Christian. He was a South African doctor in, o- in, in Oklahoma City. And like one or two weeks after he became a Christian, he was diagnosed with a brain brain tumor, brain cancer. And uh, like two weeks later. So it's like, here he is. He he becomes a Christian. And you would think that like, okay, now God's going to bless him, just make him an amazing like surgeon, Christian, and he's going to have all this impact. He got cancer. And he died about six to eight months later. But, he was like so happy that he knew Jesus. And my brother was able to go down to South Africa. He had like moved back when he was sick. And just my brother had the opportunity to like talk to his family and like share the gospel. And I think there were some people there that became believers through that whole situation. And so we don't know. We don't know. But the, the point is, is we are so attached to this world and God has something so amazing for us. You know, and that's what that's why I put that little quote on the RUF cup. You know, the Lewis quote about like if if you find in your heart a desire that nothing in this world will satisfy, the only answer could be is you're made for another world. You are made for God. You're made for Jesus. You're made for Him. So check your motives. Why are you see? Why are you here? Are you bargaining with God? Or are you satisfied in Jesus? Secondly, true faith looks like a 24-hour food bar. Okay? True faith looks like a 24-hour food bar. What do I mean? It's not a one-time event. It's not, oh, I recognize I'm a sinner. I prayed this prayer. I became a Christian. I asked Jesus into my life. I mean, I did that when I was like six or seven. I did it, and I kept doing it. Because I kept thinking, has Jesus left me? But the point is, is like your faith, 
a lot of people think that the gospel and Jesus is kind of like an insurance policy. Okay, I'll do that Jesus thing. I'll, I know I'm a sinner. I believe what he did on the cross. Okay, now let me live my life. Let me just do what I want to do. And in, in, in some cultures in the U.S., like, like in Oklahoma, like where I lived for a while, like everybody goes to church. It's not like it is here, but like everybody goes to church. And, uh, but it's kind of like they also sleep with their girlfriends. I mean, it's kind of like they're, everybody thinks they're a believer because they prayed this prayer or they had this, you know, this one time thing. But it's not really a true, authentic faith. And you kind of have to convince people that, I'm not sure if you're really a believer yet. And so Jesus is saying in here <laughs> that. Being a Christian is not just an insurance policy. It's not, I prayed a prayer, I went down an aisle, and then I can do anything I want. But again, it's this 24-hour food bar. Jesus is saying that coming to Him is like going to a meal and continuing to eat at the meal. Okay? It's, it's feeding on Him. And so he, the metaphor here is the bread of life. You know, He keeps saying it again and again. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. He's talking about... You know, they're asking him about manna and the Old Testament, the wilderness, and Jesus is saying, guess what? You know, the ultimate manna is here. I am before you. It is Jesus. And he keeps saying, you know, um, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. And he goes on in 48, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. How many times did you eat today? Think about it. Just twice? Any snacking, Pimpo? No? Okay. Alright, that's pretty, that's pretty good. You're a disciplined guy. I probably ate 12 times today. I mean, you just, I'm not saying like full meals, but like nibbling, here's a carrot stick. You know, things I can eat. Here's some, here's some, uh, coconut flakes. You know. Um, but come on. I mean, like, you guys are snacking. You're nibbling here and there. We got some food for you back there. Um, you know, Jesus, Jesus is saying, um, you gotta come to Him again and again. Uh, that, that faith, true faith, you know, the gospel is not just the beginning of the Christian life and then you starve yourself. The gospel is all the time. You know, Martin Luther said the gospel, you know, the center of the gospel is is basically constant repentance. It's basically understanding that as you walk, even as a Christian, you're you're still you still have a sin nature, and your the constant walk of the Christian is repentance and faith. It's saying, oh, gosh, I blew it again. Like, oh, I can see that, I, and God is bringing up all these things, these idols and these sins in your life, and you're you're totally confronted with the fact that. I need Jesus. And so the Christian is always eating. He's always going back to Jesus saying, Jesus, help me. Jesus, I don't feel like getting out of the bed today. Help me. Jesus, I don't have any idea what to do with my career or, or what major I should do. Help me. Jesus, I blew it again. Forgive me. I mean, it's going back to Him again and again and soaking in the Gospel and saying, Jesus loves me. Jesus gave Himself for me. I am accepted. He delights in me. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. Even my calculus test that I bombed. 
Okay, nothing can take that away from me. Jesus loves me. He's, he's going to help me. It's not the end of the world. Okay? And so, we are people who live by faith. It's either faith in yourself, in your own abilities, or it's faith and looking to Jesus. And so, Jesus is saying, you got to be like a hobbit. Okay, you have to have a lot of meals during the day. I was just reading about this. Okay, there's a lot of meals that the hobbits ate. 7 a.m. breakfast, 9 a.m. second breakfast, 11 11s, 1 p.m. luncheon, 4 p.m. afternoon tea, 6 p.m. dinner, 8 p.m. supper, and laugh they did and eat and drink often and heartily, being fond of simple jests at all times and of six meals a day when they could get them. But really, they had seven. Jesus wants hobbits. Okay, so keep eating. Keep eating. We just, I just had, came back from New Hampshire and that wedding, and that wedding had an amazing spread. And it was funny because Chris and Rachel, they didn't want like, I guess, traditional food at their wedding. They wanted like food that they liked. So there were sliders. You know, like just this whole big tray of sliders. It was like a buffet and there was, um, uh, this amazing like chicken blueberry dish thing. It was gluten free. I could eat it. There was uh, like this salmon, like some sort of salmon thing that was really good. And then instead of having like just one cake, they had like a series of cakes. It wasn't like one big wedding cake. It was all kinds of different cakes and pies, lots of different pies and also bread pudding. I mean, it was just like this huge thing. I mean, you could eat, you know, for months there. And uh, in fact, there was a ton of leftovers people were taking. But isn't that a great picture? Because... You know, this, you know, a feast and a wedding, you know, to some extent, that's, that's really from God. I mean, ultimately, what Jesus is saying is, you need to feast with me. And ultimately, when we go to heaven, it's going to be the wedding feast of the Lamb. It's going to be enjoying His presence. And it says in Isaiah, we're going to have the finest meat and the finest wines. Okay? Better than anything you've eaten here. Okay? Better than Ruth's, Chris, Steakhouse, anything. Okay? We're going to have the best. Because God is a God who enjoys eating and feasting with His people. And so, um, one of the things to apply this is is thinking about church. And this is one of the reasons why you need church. Because church and worship is a time where you're saying, ah, I need to be recalibrated again and again and feed on Jesus. And so, when you go to worship... It's not just, hey, I'm going to church, God. Look at me. Like, I'm serving you, God. Look at me. I'm going to church. No, it's more like, help me, God. I need to go to church like, and be served by you. It's a different kind of thinking. When you go to church, I hope you're saying, I need to be fed. Man, I hope there's some good teaching here. I hope there's some good Scripture here. I hope there's some Word. I hope there's some good songs we can sing and I can hear the Gospel in those songs. Okay? I hope there's the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper is a picture of feasting on Jesus, His body and His blood broken for you. And that's called a means of grace. That's something that we all need. That's how we get built up in the faith. Because when you go through your work week and your school week and everything, you we, we get out of balance. We get out of focus. And so worship, Sunday, church is so important because it's where you get recalibrated into... Oh, God, you are God, and I am not God, and I am a sinner, and I need you. And Jesus, thank you that you have died for me, rose for me, and one day I'm going to be with you. 
And and so you're you're sitting in that place, and sometimes you know people are singing out of tune and whatever. Um, but what's going on is something mysterious. The Spirit is there working through the Word, okay, working through the Lord's Supper, working in all these ways to say, "I'm helping you. I'm serving you. I'm I'm blessing you in this." So, how do we feed on Jesus? It's it's by faith. Every day, ourselves. It's remembering the gospel. It's coming to him again and again. It's it's going to church. It's coming to RUF and hearing the word of God, singing these songs, being refreshed in the gospel. I mean, it's a twenty four hour buffet. Okay? And that's what true faith is. True faith is not just back there, something you did. It may have started there. That was the initial meal. But now you got you can't just eat that meal and leave. It's 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 a 24-hour food bar, okay? And the last thing is this, okay? It, true faith looks like reliance and trust on Jesus alone, okay? Because in this passage, in verse 28, the people say, the crowd asks him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus is talking about Eternal life. He's talking about, you know, who he is, and all of a sudden they ask this question: We got to do something. It's interesting. And Jesus says this: a couple different things here. Eternal life, which the Son of Man, he says, uh, twenty-seven. Do not labor for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. They're thinking about what do we have to do to work and get this gift? And Jesus is saying, no, this is a gift that I'm going to give you. So number one, true faith is received as a gift. True faith has nothing to do with you. It's your birthday party. You're not going to like work for that gift. It's your birthday party. You receive it. You say, thank you. This is awesome. Thank you for this nice sweater. Or whatever it is. Jesus is saying, no, it's a gift. They're hung up with works. They're hung up with this mindset of Moses. They're even mentioning Moses and they're thinking that the manna came from Moses. They're thinking about the law. They're thinking about the works of the law. This is how we are saved. It's by doing things. And Jesus is saying, no, the work of God is that you believe in Him who has sent me. Verse 29. The work of God is that you believe in Him who has sent me. The work of God is faith. And it's the work of God. It's what God has done. So, what he's saying to them is, this is kind of counterintuitive, it's nothing about you. It's all about me. It's all about my gift. It's faith. It's a free gift. You receive it. You can't do anything. You just receive it. You just recognize that you're a big sinner and you tend to want to work. You tend to want to earn. And the Gospel is saying, you're a big sinner. You can't earn it. But Jesus earned it for you. The gift is Him. The gift is His finished work on the cross, His death and resurrection, ascension for you. That's the work of God. And so most people, if you ask them, what's Christianity about? It's a, it's a moral code. It's a code of ethics. People are really good Christians. That means they go to church and they do nice things and they're good people. 
And Jesus is saying, no, the work of God is to believe. It's faith first. It's faith. Now, there's going to be works and there's going to be things that come out of that. There's going to be helping the poor. There's going to be serving people. There's going to be laying down your life for others. There's going to be fighting injustice. There's going to be all of the things that are wrong in this world were to be about. But the core of the Christian faith is this relationship that Jesus has won for you on the cross. And it's just by faith. It's by believing. They are saying, what must we do? And Jesus is saying, the work of God is this, to believe. And He says this in 32, My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. The bread of God is He who comes down for you, gives life to the, wor- to the world. You think Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. So, Jesus came to fulfill the Father's will. He came to do this work that God had decided to do before the foundation of the earth to win His people back. And it's a gift. It's a gift received by faith. It's the works of another, not yourself. And so... The Jews were confused. The Jews had a wrong idea about who Jesus was. Their motives were off. And so in this passage, Jesus is saying, no, it's about me. It's about truly feeding on me. It's about not what you can do, but what I've done for you. And so this is something we can get excited about. It's the work of God. And the final part of this passage, he he even goes further and he says, guess what? This whole whole thing of salvation is nothing from you. It's actually my Father's will. That, That this is how secure you can be because my Father has people chosen. He has the elect. He has this people out there that He loved, He died for. And guess what? Nothing can separate them from His hands. And He's winning them back. And so he keeps saying things like, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that He has given me. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws Him. I will raise Him up at the last day. And so, we can talk more about this, but this is, Jesus is getting into this idea of election, and He's getting into this idea of that your salvation can be secure in Him. And it has nothing to do with you. You just receive it as a gift. It's amazing. So I'm not sure where your motives are, but the good news is, it doesn't matter. Because all you have to do is say, God, I don't know where my motives are, but I want You. I want to believe in You. I want the joy of my salvation in You. And you just ask Him for that, and He gives it freely. And, he, and Because He's already died for you. He's rose again for you. There's nothing you can do to make Him love you any more than He already does. Because He died and His finished work is secure. So feast often. Feast often. At the 24-hour bar. Okay? Let me pray. Jesus, thank You for um, the fact that You are the bread of life. Lord, we look for our life in all kinds of false bread. Would You show us the false bread that we're looking at and trying to feed on? Would You actually make it turn sour in our mouths so that we would then run to You? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Alright, we're going to sing something.
to close.